0: Good afternoon, welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show that is all about shining a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. My name is Jeff Simpson. And my name is Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment news, to have entertainment discussions. And uh, we've got a great topic today, kind of an unusual one, a little off the beaten path, if you will. But uh, before we get to that, we do want to make sure to remind you that you can find all of our past episodes on the podcast. Just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, or you can go to byuradio.org and look up Screen Cleaning. We have tons and tons of shows that you can download anywhere you are and
1: enjoy. Tons and tons. I think by last count, last week when I tried to count, it was over 100. All right. Go us.
0: And, you know... (laughs) Coronavirus or no, that's not going to stop us from continuing to put out content, and uh, we hope that you enjoy it. And some of the great news that we want to share with you today, I think, is really going to mainly make Cole
1: Wissinger happy. And why is that, Cole? Ooh, so I mean, what do we want to talk? I I know what I want to talk about first. It is very clear, <laughs> and it's it's mainly a chance to get to use this sound one more time.
0: Look, it's a bird. It's a plane.
1: Ah, That's this week in DC News. They will be hashtag releasing the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Whoa! That was this week in DC News.
0: Now, for the uninitiated, what what does that mean the the Zack Snyder Cut?
1: Oh man. Uh, do you have about an hour to sit down and hear the story of, the, of we have, the... We have a couple minutes. The cut that never was or kind of was and now will be. So Justice League, the movie, came out in 2018, uh, 17, 17. Um. And during the course of making it, Zack Snyder, the kind of helmer of the DCEU, director of Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and the first part of Justice League, he had a vision, uh, but unfortunately, a family tragedy pulled him away from finishing the film. Joss Whedon, uh, an expert from the Marvel side of movies and an expert in also making a ton of money at the box office and making crowd pleasing movies, came in to reshoot a lot of the movie and what what we got in theaters was this mishmash of tones between the dark, serious pull of the DC side of things that Zack Snyder had established for all of the movies in that universe up until that point, and then wacky fun times with Joss Whedon and the Flash making jokes and a cgi mustache to start off the film on like a cell phone cam thing with Superman. And it was just a mess of a movie, and so... Uh, the rabid DC fans of the other movies went to social media to ask for a Snyder cut, the, the cut that Zack Snyder wanted, undiluted by all the extra Joss Whedon stuff. And anyone that knows anything about movie making knows that that doesn't really exist, right? He did have an idea, but if he didn't make the movie, then we didn't get that movie, right? It's it's not just sitting somewhere on a shelf that they decided to go with the mishmash version. But now HBO Max, who is a new streaming platform as of next week, and the owners of DC and, and kind of the owners of AT&T and Turner, and they have their fingers in a lot of different pies, but they're the owners of DC and those DC movies. They have cleared a $20 million version where Zack Snyder gets to sit down and finish his cut of that movie. The internet has won. Chaos has won. And we will be getting a different Justice League coming out four or five years after the actual movie.
0: Wow. What you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, is the Cole Wissinger cut of that conversation. I thought I only wanted a couple minutes, Cole.
1: Oh, I I could have gone on (laughs) a little bit longer. That was me being brief. Uh, This has been a, a social media tear and upstorm through everything. Uh, the the entire concept of the DCEU, whether Zack Snyder knows what he's doing with any of those characters, it's a hundred different conversations rolled into one.
0: Okay. Well, maybe we'll get alternate cuts if Star Wars fans have their way. Well, maybe we'll get alternate cuts of some of these uh, latest Star Wars movies that we've gotten that have had very mixed
1: reactions. That's putting it uh, kindly, Jeff, as you often do. <laughs> anyway, and we're going to be able to see the Snyder Cut on... It will be coming to HBO Max in 2021. So give them a year to put it all together, right? Uh, and then subscribers to that new streaming service. The streaming wars are continuing. Like I said, HBO Max is coming to a home near you next week. It's It's soon. And, you know, in lieu of
0: a free trial, everybody's always looking for that free trial, whether it's a a week long or a a month long. And some of them are even doing three months long. But um,
1: you still I think you still have your Quibi. That's what that was a reference to.
0: Yeah, sure. (laughs) So in lieu of the free trial, they're actually instead doing a limited time offer where you get three dollars off the price. Right. It's normally going to be fifteen dollars a month. But if you act now, we'll sell it to you for $12 a month for at least the first year, I believe.
1: Yeah, it locks in the price, but you do have to act within the next couple of days here. This is if you order it before the May 27th actual launch date.
0: Okay. Now, I I understand you also want to talk about a show with which I'm not very familiar that's, uh, that's on Netflix now.
1: Wait, you're not familiar with it? So the biggest news on my social media feed, other than hashtag releasing the Snyder Cut, has been that Avatar The Last Airbender, the television show, not the movie has come to Netflix, and all of the people of my generation are now going back and re-falling in love with one of the greatest cartoons. It's not a kid's show. It is just a good show that happens to be animated and was on Nickelodeon. Avatar The Last Airbender is on Netflix.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm only slightly familiar with the M. Night Shyamalan-directed movie, which I did not see, but I've
1: I've heard things...
0: I've heard things about it. Good
1: things, all good things about the TV show. It it was a fantastic feat.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about some news that I am super excited about. Okay, and uh, gosh, I hope it rings true. I hope uh, I hope they don't back down, but you know, there's only so much that they can control. And what I mean by they is Christopher Nolan and company, uh, really the production companies and the movie theaters are going to hopefully be showing us Tenet still on July 17th, and we just got a taste of a second trailer. Well, really, there was the teaser, which showed you a couple of images, and that came out like a year ago. Then you got a full-length trailer that didn't answer any questions in true Christopher Nolan form. (laughs) Now there's this new full-length trailer, which I am
1: refusing to watch, Cole. Have you seen it? See, that was going to be my next question, because I'm the one in this room, or I guess our two separate rooms, that doesn't watch trailers. Uh, Between the two of us, when we're excited for something, it's your job to go watch the trailer, and then, you know, I plug my ears while you tell the people. But in this case, the Christopher Nolan fan that you are, you're holding off as well. You've come over to my side of things where you like to be surprised. I'm
0: very selective, but uh, yeah, this is one I'm not going to watch because... I'm hoping to be there July 17th when it comes out. It's interesting because uh Christopher Nolan typically works with Hans Zimmer for the soundtracks for his movies, but Hans Zimmer is busy on Dune uh that's uh being put out by uh Denis And um this time he's using the Swedish composer Ludwig Göransson. If you're not familiar with that name, you're certainly familiar with his work. He did Black Panther. He won an Oscar for Black Panther, Cole. He did the Creed movies. And most recently, he scored the Mandalorian series, which I I thought was a pretty good score.
1: Does he know how to go? Because that's really all Chris Nolan needs.
0: I think this could be a really thrilling edge of your seat score. And so I'm excited to, to hear what that's going to sound like on the big screen.
1: And to see if the score matches the, the movie theme of going back and forth. You know, uh, having not seen either trailer, I do understand the concept that T-E-N-E-T is the same forward and backwards. And so uh, for the music nerds in the room, let's see if there's something palindromic about the music as well.
0: Good observation there, Cole.
1: Before we get back into the theaters, we're all relying on streaming, and today is no exception here on the show. We're going to be talking about British television, and as I mentioned before, HBO Max is coming out next week. They will be the home of such BBC staples as the original The Office, the the UK version, Top Gear, Luther, starring Idris Elba, and also... Uh, what in my mind is the British TV and the BBC staple Doctor Who. And so if you needed yet another reason to be on board with HBO, if, if the HBO television isn't enough or Friends isn't enough or the DC universe isn't enough, they're also bringing BBC America stuff to your streaming service as well.
0: It's interesting you should mention British TV shows Cole because with all of the many options we have on various streaming services one of the areas in which I have not one of the pools I haven't spent a lot of time in is the British TV pool and uh, so Cole and I thought it might be a good idea to put on our floaties and uh, dip our toes in that said pool and uh, we are excited to share you what we found and what shows we loved and which ones we could probably skip over. That's all coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. All I have for you is a word.
1: Tell it. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too.
0: Use it carefully.
1: All right, Jeff. Now, normally I'm in charge of the music and I thought that I was going to be the expert on British television here, but you're going to have to tell me what we're listening to.
0: Cole, I grew up with parents who never missed an episode of a show called Mystery on PBS. And we as kids, we, you know, sometimes we sat down and watched the show with them, but what we were mostly interested in was what you just heard there which was the theme song to mystery which was accompanied by this beautifully uh black and white animated i think they're just pencil drawings intro and featuring all these dastardly deeds that are going on and one thing one part that we remembered the most that we always mimicked when we saw it and heard it was you see this poor damsel in distress on top of this mansion, and she's waving around this handkerchief, and she's going, ooh, ooh, ooh. and we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. So that is I years was exposed- of practice
1: and imitation right there. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I
0: was exposed to British television from a very early age, and uh, I-, I feel like, I'm sort of coming home in a way as we talk about some of these shows and uh, a lot of those shows that would be a part of mystery were Poirot and, you know, there's Miss Marple and Sherlock Holmes and, you know, it's kind of morphed over the years. It's now they've combined with Masterpiece Theater. So there's now Masterpiece Mystery and I don't think they use that same intro anymore, which is a shame because it was a
1: great one. See, the masterpiece theater though intro is one that I remember because I remember playing it in our sixth grade orchestra. It was the da 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 song. Oh
0: yeah. And then there was the offshoot of that for the younger audience, the masterpiece theater. <laughs> do you remember that, Cole? I, no, I do not. That was way before your time. But anyway, another great show for kids. And, you know, he would introduce these cartoons, but with that same exact, very classical theme. So something I enjoyed as a kid. Wonderful. So, Cole,
1: I understand we want to talk British
0: television today.
1: We do. I'm excited. This, uh, this was your idea because I think we're trying to reach out and broaden our horizons. There, we notice from time to time that we fall into ruts here on screen cleaning. That we keep mentioning the same movies or the same TV shows over and over again because they're our favorites. And you can't blame us. We're products of our time and our upbringing and our nostalgia, as we've even demonstrated uh, with the British stuff that we've we've already seen. But in an effort to broaden out this week, we went. To some shows and to a whole different continent that we haven't been before on the show at
0: least right, you know uh, this coronavirus has really forced a lot of us to go outside of our comfort zone and and to adapt and that's kind of what we're doing here on the show today, and it is interesting that we talk about comfort zone and preferences because Cole, I think you knew this I lived in Russia for two years mm. Mm-hmm. And while there, I noticed that I had to kind of become acclimated to some of the foods and tastes and preferences in that foreign country, that country that was foreign to me anyway. And uh, I noticed that foods that even that I was familiar with from America tasted different in different in, in Russia. So even candy bars and sodas And condiments. It took me forever to get used to the ketchup that they had there and the milk that they had there. (laughs) They had different flavors of all those things. And I came to learn that, you know, there are certain things that uh, people in Russia want the American experience, but they also kind of want to have the tastes that they're familiar with and that they like. Right. So it wasn't uncommon for us to come across a business that was run by either an American or a Canadian who wanted to help Russians feel like they were getting the American experience, but still giving them the taste that they were used to, right? So when you would go and and have a slice of, quote, New York pizza, you would take a bite and it was certainly not the same taste as a New York pizza, (laughs) but really the Russian equivalent to a New York pizza. And so I, I couldn't shake this feeling as we were watching some of these shows, Cole, that some of these shows are just kind of an acquired taste and you really have to get in the right mood to enjoy them. Um, and for me, it's really just difficult to understand what they're saying a lot of the times. I don't know if you kind of had a similar experience. Like literally
1: with, with the, the words the coming out of their mouth, you need to turn on the subtitles sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh you know another thing that's interesting cole speaking of tailoring content or tailoring your product to a certain audience right um you can always tell when british television or british movies are trying to tailor their content to an american audience right and you can see it in the vocabulary that they're using you can see see it in the script changes that they're clearly making so that Americans will understand it right so i always chuckle when i hear british people saying like oh he's going 88 miles per hour right which is not something that a british person would say in their own country to <laughs> another british person right just doesn't make sense same thing with feet versus meters it you can always tell when uh, clearly this product is is being sold To an American audience. But then you made a good point, Cole, about no, 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 no. Now, hold on. Maybe they're not trying to tailor it to an American audience, but maybe there are multiple versions of the same product. Right.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You you look at the Harry Potter books, which Harry Potter, I would believe, is one of Great Britain's great exports that they've had over the years. Uh, And the Philosopher's Stone is what it was originally called. In in J.K. Rowling's homeland, but whenever it got over here, they uh, didn't expect Americans to understand what a philosopher was or what its connection to wizardry would be, so they renamed it the Sorcerer's Stone. Even though a philosopher's stone is a real thing in lore, uh, and a Sorcerer's Stone is just made up to make it sound more sorcerery, Uh, but as the books became more and more popular, they started to merge, and by those by the seventh uh, it was more of a worldwide phenomenon, and it was just kind of the one version that was coming out, whereas early on she was writing for her British compatriots, and then okay. Americans got the other version
0: so do you feel like we sat in television and movies as well, where maybe we 're getting two different cuts of the same product
1: oh i I think it could very well be possible because i can 't imagine a British show being made and produced over there, and them them alienating their own main audience just for the sake of a couple extra eyes on BBC America.
0: Are we really that different, Cole, that we wouldn't be able to understand certain words or... I'd like to think that I'm
1: not, but your general dumb American media consuming audience might be. The the assumption is that they are, and that's where you get back to your assumptions, right? When you see Americans portrayed in media from other countries, they're often, you know, not the smartest folks. uh, And maybe that perception invades even the way the media is made.
0: Now, Cole, I have English ancestry. I mean, you can't get more British than Simpson, right? So shouldn't I just be able to understand these things just purely based on my genes?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Can you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we don't need the subtitles. We get it. Right. Oh, It's just sometimes they speak so quickly and so mumbly that it's hard to decipher what they're saying. But that those are not the only differences between American television and movies and British television and movies. We see some really drastic differences in the content of these shows, right? Yeah,
1: what's seen as acceptable. Americans have a very high-tolerance for pain, for damage, destruction, violence, and gore, whereas you don't see a lot of that in British television. What what they have a ton of, content-wise, that we seem terrified of here in America is language, and especially sexual language, innuendo, and just blatant nudity on the screen.
0: Yeah, and you. so that's why as we we're going through this list of TV shows that we kind of wanted to dive into... I had to be really selective because I just kept coming across shows that, ah oh, no, can't talk about that one. Uh, no, probably can't watch that one either. And even, you know, even going back several decades, you have to be careful in a way because, you know, there's nothing more universal. Speaking of British entertainment, in my mind, as far as comedy goes, there's nothing more universally funny than Mr. Bean. Right. Physical comedy. It knows no language.
1: It's just funny.
0: And right. The character himself does not really utter anything intelligible. So he's kind of like the minions. I I hate to even compare the two, (laughs) but uh, some, a character that can be understood no matter where you are. And he's funny. However, I thought, you know, and I own every episode of Mr. Bean and you can stream Mr. Bean as well. But, uh, I tried to show my kids one or two episodes of this. And I think within a couple of episodes, you see Mr. Bean completely nude from behind. And I'm I'm covering my kids' eyes and I can't <laughs> believe what I'm seeing. And this was decades ago. This is, you know, me as a, a little boy, Cole, this is when this show came out. And yet that was something that they could get away with way back then.
1: And the language goes that way, too. There's a very British story in a movie that won an Academy Award a few years back in 2010 called The King's Speech, which its rating in the UK is basically the equivalent of RPG-13. But because of the string of sexual expletives that he puts together in, you know preparing for one of the speeches, it gets an R over here in America because you can't have more than one four letter swear word in an American. Right. Movie.
0: And I understand that there are certain words that they use that really don't mean all that much. You know, they don't probably don't even consider it that much of a swear word. But to us, it's shocking. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same could probably be said uh, for our vocabulary. You know, some of the words that we choose to utter they it could be kind of shocking to them. And but uh, yeah, these yeah, cultural
1: I, differences are just fun to see. And to bring it full circle, you have fond memories of going to a different country during your formative years. And right now I have a really, really good friend that I leaned on for some recommendations who is living here in America that grew up in the UK. She grew up in England and. Uh, when I was trying to branch out of what my comfortable zone was, I, I'm very familiar with British sci-fi and with their murder mystery programs, but she gave me a lot of uh, recommendations that I'm going to be able to mention here later on that I went and watched that were different from what I was used to, and I'm very grateful. And, and I just appreciate yeah, someone that's willing to go to another country and and have that culture shock.
0: Cole, today on the show, we're going to be talking about some British British TV shows. And uh, another interesting difference between American TV shows and British TV shows is you don't have seasons on British TV; you have series. series yep, you, these limited series, right? And uh, Cole and I are excited to have that conversation, though, and to share where you can find some of these British TV shows when we return here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Today on the show, we are talking British television. And uh, just as we mentioned earlier, British television can be an acquired taste, whereas there are also examples of British television that are so universal in their appeal that uh, you just can't help but love them, like Mr. Bean and Monty Python. But we're not going to talk about those two shows today because we're going to talk about shows that maybe we were a little unfamiliar with before we started on this mission. And uh, we also wanted to help you find out where you can find these shows. We tried to stick with shows that we could get with some of our basic streaming channels. And uh, we even had to uh, look or think outside the box a little bit on where we get some of this content. So Cole, where do we want to start?
1: Well, Uh, You mentioned things that we weren't familiar with. If there's one thing I was the most familiar with before starting this, and if my brain goes to one place when it's a British television, it's that theme song we came into, and it is Doctor Who. It seems like I've brought up the VHS tapes that are hidden away in the corner of my parents' bedroom uh, an enormous of times over the past month here on Screen Cleaning. When we talked about sci-fi TV, I talked about Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, the original Star Trek. Doctor Who is one of those long-running shows, and especially the early ones before its big revival and before it got really, really popular here in the States. My parents still have uh, a lot of tapes, especially from the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. He was the one with the very long scarf uh, that was parodied on shows like The Simpsons and was kind of people's go-to touchpoint with Doctor Who before its revival with Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant and Matt Smith. Doctor Who is really my starting point. Everything can branch out there. We can get more obscure after that. But I I had to start with that.
0: You know, I will kind of start with some of the more well-known British TV series as well. But, you know, we mentioned Mr. Bean. And another show that was really huge for Rowan Atkinson was The Black Adder, right? And uh, it's this story that's kind of told throughout time. And he starts off as this kind of this bumbling idiot. That's kind of a stretch for Rowan Atkinson, don't you think? And uh, he ends up killing uh, King Richard III by beheading him because he thinks King Richard is stealing his horse. (laughs) So he's got to try to cover that up. And uh, there's another show, you know, we talked about Monty Python's Flying Circus, but another show starring John Cleese that is really kind of considered to be the gold standard in British sitcoms is a show called Faulty Towers. And John Cleese plays this hotel manager who has this wife. He's this long suffering hotel manager because his wife annoys him and his employees are not really capable at their jobs. And so there's always this constant mess. And I'll admit there are some funny gags. I was a little surprised that it's kind of considered the gold standard in British sitcoms or just sitcoms in general. But uh, those are a couple of shows that that, uh, if you find them, they're worth the watch and they're entertaining. And since they are older, at least they won't have as much of the objectionable content that a lot of these British shows do these days.
1: Americans, uh, sitcom-wise, are definitely going to be more familiar, though, with a show like The Original Office. Sure. If, If, when you're watching through, as you can binge The Office on Netflix or eventually The Peacock... If the first season seems out of place, it's because it's extremely similar. And in, in fact, the first episode is almost a shot-for-shot shot remake of the first episode of the original The UK Office. It seemed like Michael Scott and Jim and Pam and Dwight they they got their footing by the second, third, and especially fourth season. They hit their stride. That this was their own show. Uh, it's because they were just trying to bring the exact same thing over the pond in that first season uh, to match the British first series. Uh, But the other British comedy that I've gotten into over the years is The IT Crowd, uh, also Mm -hmm. available on Netflix.
0: You know, what I love about that show, Cole, and I've probably only seen an episode or two of that, is just, it has such a great cast. I'm a huge fan of Chris O'Dowd, who just has that uh, lovable... He's a lovable kind of guy with a great Irish accent. I mean, he doesn't... It's not an accent to him, but he's just (laughs) Irish. But uh, yeah, that is another good one that uh, is a great workplace comedy. I was able to stumble upon one that uh, is a workplace comedy. Again, a lot of the comedy comes from people not being very good at their jobs. And I found one that's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. Called Black Books. And it's about this guy who owns a bookshop, but he is not really a good businessman or accountant. He spends most of his time not making sales. And what I mean by that is his store is typically full of customers. And yet, for one reason or another, they annoy him. And so he just doesn't want to sell them anything. And uh, yeah, some very funny gags in this show. And he spends the entire first episode, you know, trying to figure out how to do his books, his account, you know, his accountant work, that is. And uh, yeah, there are some really great gags in this show. And again, it was appropriate. So one that you ought to check out. And I was shocked. I don't know why I was shocked because it is British television. But uh, midway through the episode, and it should be noted, this is from the year 2000, We get a very young-looking performer playing this doctor, and it is none other than somebody that you've already mentioned in one of the shows that you talked about, Martin Freeman from The Office and Sherlock and from The Hobbit. And it was just really kind of unsettling to see him in this cameo in this sitcom, but it's certainly one you could check out, Black Books from 2000.
1: So let's definitely talk about Sherlock and just that That open door that is the British murder mystery. I think the newest version of Sherlock with Martin Freeman and also Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular Sherlock, uh, to me, highlights the difference between uh, British and American media. Because when we had a Sherlock Holmes directed by Guy Ritchie, not coincidentally a Brit himself... We got a Sherlock played by our own Iron Man that could box and punch people and was gritty and violent. And then when Sherlock was done by Benedict Cumberbatch, it's a much more cerebral and calm and tall, lanky, goofy, um, out of touch Sherlock, as opposed to an action hero, Sherlock Holmes.
0: Yeah, this was a big hit and people can find it on Netflix. Really an entertaining show. That, uh, you know, I think as it goes along, it tries to do way too much and get a little too cerebral for most people's liking. But especially those first couple of series are just uh, really an entertaining piece of art, I guess we could say. Um, Cole, here's another one that you've probably never even heard of. It's called Outnumbered. Heard of it? I've not. So... This is one that I thought would appeal to my wife and myself. It's from 2007. They had five seasons or five series, you could say. And uh, it's about this couple that has three kids. And so they are, as the title suggests, outnumbered. And uh, it's, it's really kind of a funny, sweet show about this couple that is trying to be the best parents they can possibly be. And in this first episode of the first series, one of the things that they're struggling with, especially with one of their kids, is being honest. And so you have both parents individually trying to encourage their kid to be honest. And yet throughout the episode, they both have a series of lies that they're trying to cover up, right? And it's that idea is so funny to me as a parent, because some of the things that annoy me about my kids are not their fault it's really my fault so some of the things that I that I dislike about myself or that annoy me about myself are the things that that uh, I get frustrated with with my kids my kids are great but they're just doing what I'm what they see me doing and that's what can be frustrating right and so that's what you get in this first episode and uh, there were some really good belly laughs in that first episode to be sure Outnumbered from 2007. You can find it on Hulu.
1: You can find it on Amazon Prime. Heading away from the scripted shows for just a moment, there's a subset of British television that's the... Reality, for lack of a better word. Uh, my favorite late night talk show is actually the Graham Norton show. When I see clips of that pop up on YouTube, I I appreciate his style of interview and that couch that they all sit on a little bit more than our normal American uh, Late Late Show or Tonight shows, Uh, but the real British one that I watched a ton of this week available on Netflix is the Great British Baking Show, as it's known here in America, or the Great British Bake Off where they get a bunch of amateur chefs into their white tent and on your mark get set, bake, and they, they have challenges just like any other cooking show that I love watching, but the The twist that they're just normal people that like baking as opposed to five star chefs in some New York establishment that I've never been to makes it funny and makes it so you can root for them so much easier.
0: I've heard of that show, Cole, and I understand it's kind of the phenomenon here in the states and uh i I think that's great. I think when there are shows that come over from overseas that are just a big hit here in the States. I think that's great. Um, I personally don't get it. (laughs) I think I probably saw about 10 or 15 minutes of one episode, and I think I got the gist
1: of it. Well, have you watched Chopped uh, or or Iron Chef America? Do you watch anything on the Food Network? Because it's the same stuff, just British baked goods as opposed to three-course meals.
0: My kids, every once in a while i'll walk in on my kids watching, nailed it on Netflix, which is pretty much the same show with these amateur chefs. it's also not british, but uh <laughs> anyway, um the next show I wanted to talk about, Cole, is one I was super excited about because mainly because of the lead of this show it's an actress named Ashley Jensen, and really, my only exposure to Ashley Jensen was on a television show, a television series called Extras, which was a show by Ricky Gervais. And he's this aspiring actor, hence Extras. He and his friend, played by Ashley Jensen, are both these extras in movies. And so they have a lot of exposure to some really famous actors throughout the course of this series. And I did watch the entire series. And this is another example of a show that uh, has Americanized versions of episodes based on how familiar people may or may not be with with British pop culture references. But uh, what you get here, really, Cole, uh, is, a ve- again, very uncomfortable comedy, just like he did with The Office. And Stephen Merchant plays his really really inept agent. They, I think, he kind of works as a cell phone salesman, or was a cell phone cell phone salesman. But um, what you get here is really fictionalized versions of actual celebrities, right? So we're talking Ben Stiller and Patrick Stewart, and uh, Robert De Niro. Believe it or not, even shows up once or uh, later on in the series. And again, she, getting back to Ashley Jensen, because Extras is actually a series that is probably not super appropriate to talk about on this show. Ashley Jensen is just this super lovable best friend from this show. And so I wanted to see what she would be like on this other show called Agatha Raisin, which is a series based on a humorous mystery Uh, novel series and now it's on acorn tv Uh, originally was on one of the british television channels and she's playing a character very different from that uh that she played in extras whereas before she was very lovable and vulnerable and sweet she is a public relations agent who has decided she's going to quit her job and go live in the country with these other people and she wants to kind of get like the reader's digest or the cheat version of what a person's life in the country would look like. So she will she will steal somebody's housekeeper by paying them more money and she will go to a uh, a bakery and buy a quiche and pass it off as her own in this quiche, this very prestigious quiche uh, bake-off, right? So she's always trying to cut corners. She's trying to live the country life on her terms. Very uh short with people. Not a very nice person at all, but uh the quiche is key here, Cole, because the very first episode is a pilot that's called Agatha Raisin and the Quiche of Death. So somehow <laughs> this quiche is going to play into somebody's death, and somehow Agatha Raisin, who was This uh, really professional public relations agent is now going to be this amateur sleuth. And will she be good at it? Will she be inept at it? Uh, Only time will tell. Right, Cole? So I'm excited to dive a little deeper into this pretty silly show that uh, is, again, one of many, many murder mysteries that you can find in the British TV realm.
1: The murder mystery is certainly a staple, but so is the period piece, possibly because British history is just so rich in that. Where Americans, we have Westerns, uh, the Brits have period pieces, you have all the v- different Jane Austen adaptations. Uh, There's Poldark, Downton Abbey, of course, that we've mentioned, along with its movie. But the one that I'd been meaning to watch for so long and finally got into this week is The Crown on Netflix, telling the story of the Queen of England uh, when she was a a younger lady.
0: This is prestige TV at its greatest. And what I mean by that is this is a very accessible British show to Americans, right? It's one that people talk about a lot. It's one that people will binge or even sign up specifically for Netflix just to see this show. I've actually got a funny story about The Crown, Cole. Actually, it's probably more heartbreaking than it is funny. Certainly something that uh, other married people could relate to because I was the one that actually told my wife about this television show, The Crown. Hey, there's gonna be the show coming out on Netflix. It's called The Crown. It looks like it could be a really good watch for the two of us. So uh, yeah, let's let's watch it together when it comes out. Well, fast forward to the premiere of The Crown and I walk into my bedroom one day and there's my wife watching The Crown without me. And I'm, my I my I'm speechless, Cole. I'm totally speechless. And then once I gather my thoughts a little bit, I say, you know, I'm the one that told you about this show to begin with, and I'm actually the one that said, let's watch this together. And yet here you are watching it without me. That's never happened before. Right, Cole? In Uh a married couple's life, they've never... They've never uh, watched something that the other person was excited to see without the other person. That's never happened, right? It's, uh,
1: it can certainly be a point of contention. And I've realized in relationships, there is always a one that watches ahead and a one that gets left behind. And unfortunately, Jeff, I'm I'm more of a watcher aheader in, in my relationships. And it's because when I want to watch something... I want to watch it, and I want to watch it now, and I want to watch it on my schedule. I've realized, but I've learned, right? So after this causing points of conflict in relationships of mine, I've realized that the only kinds of shows I can watch with people are the ones that I actually don't care about. You know, I can pop in for an episode or two of Friends or How I Met Your Mother or whatever it is with a gal, but if it is one of these serialized, you-got-to-tune-in-every-week kind of things— I I just don't bring it up. I don't watch it with them because I know, I know that I will be the one to ruin it. And I I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the bad guy. Well,
0: Cole, there's one more show that I want to talk about that. I think you would be most likely to look up this show and actually watch it after I talk about it. Okay. So it's a show, a comedy show, not surprisingly, that, uh, is about these two 20 something year olds who are kind of losers if they're honest with themselves right that uh can't really hold a, a decent job or even a decent flat and they strike up this friendship after this main male character gets kicked his ex his girlfriend kicks him out and uh, they strike up this friendship and they decide hey since we're having such a difficult time finding a flat why don't we pretend to be this married couple so that we can get this really awesome flat. There's actually a really funny scene in which the female character is trying to describe the plot of a very famous movie where she says, Oh yeah, it's it'll be just like that movie with Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu where he's trying to get a, um, he's trying to get a, and then the male character says a green card And she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the name of that show? And the male character says, I can't remember. Ha, funny. (laughs) Anyway, yes, it's basically the plot of Green Card. And it stars a favorite of yours, I'm guessing, Cole, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is very big in the British comedy scene, right? And as the episode goes along, you notice that, oh, uh, guess who's playing his best friend? If you had to take a guess, Cole, who would it be?
1: Uh, give me three guesses and it would be Nick Frost all three times. Nick Frost.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Nick Frost. Absolutely. And then I start to notice like a really bizarre way that they're presenting this story. the The comedy is coming at you fast and loose with like very quick camera changes and camera angles and just like almost... I don't want to say drug-induced because I don't I, I don't want to recommend a show that could be construed as drug-induced, but um, it's just very fast-paced and quick. And then I started to put all of the, I started to connect all the dots, Cole, and I thought, wait a minute, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, really quick and creative camera movements. This has got to be directed by none other than Edgar Wright. And sure enough, The television series Spaced is directed by Edgar Wright, starring and written by Simon Pegg and also featuring Nick Frost. So if you are a fan of some of their collaborations, you are absolutely going to love Spaced. Out of all of the shows that I watched, it's the one that I am most likely to actually go through each and every episode because it was very funny. And if you like Edgar Wright's style, then it's going to be right up your alley, Cole.
1: That, that is the one out of all of the ones you've mentioned today that I actually had heard of before. Oh. I, I want to bring it right around for my last little recommendation. I started talking about Doctor Who, and I want to mention just the other weird sci-fi shows that are off the beaten path from... The UK, uh, that would be a show like Misfits, which is a hilarious look at what if superpowers were just given across the the country, very randomly in a weird freak lightning storm, including to all five of these juvenile delinquents that were just busy serving their time trying to clean up, you know, doing their their community service. Uh, And all of a sudden they have superpowers and they have to interact with all these other just entirely random people that also gained the weirdest superpowers you can imagine. There's also a show like Orphan Black, which after a second of research on Wikipedia turns out is actually Canadian, but the first couple characters that you're introduced to are British, and I watched it on BBC America, so I'm going to talk about it anyway, because it's just so good and so well acted, especially by Tatiana Mislane, who's the main character, and she's not just the one main character, she's like five of the main characters, because she plays a gal uh, who was was the result of a cloning experiment so she's interacting and finding her history with all of her other clones and and it's just this one gal playing them all. It's just a fun cool sci-fi show. There's a couple um, of my favorites from that genre that you know that aren't Doctor Who All right well Cole,
0: I enjoyed watching some British television here with you and talking about some of these really funny and entertaining series. And uh yeah, it really makes me pine for the days when I was watching the masterpiece theater uh shows with my parents. And I am excited to go back and watch some of these and, and finish them and and uh just be a part of that world for a little while.
1: Wouldn't be screen cleaning without a healthy dose of nostalgia.
0: That's right. And coming up next on the show, we're gonna do something we do each and every episode, which is do a little panning for good. That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning.
1: On your marks, get set, There's good in them dark
0: hills. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the pieces of news that you shared previously on an episode of Screen Cleaning was the fact that John Krasinski, from his very own home, was sharing some good news. And that's actually what it's called, some good news. And this has been a big hit and has just put smiles on the faces of millions of people. And the good news or the panning for good that we want to talk about here today is that John Krasinski... Has actually struck a deal with Viacom CBS for the Some Good News format to be expanded. And John Krasinski came out and said, I could not be more excited and proud to be partnering with CBS Viacom to be able to bring some good news to so many more people. From the first episode, our goal was to create a new show dedicated entirely to good news. Never did I expect to be joining the ranks of such a historic news organization as CBS. So if you're wondering if John Krasinski is going to continue to be a part of this, I'm sure he will in some way, shape or form. He will be a producer
1: on it. But unfortunately, John Krasinski will not continue on as the host of the television version of Some Good News. But they are promising
0: us that he will have a recurring on air presence. Okay, so this is exciting. This is some good news to come out of some good news, Cole. And, uh, you know, aside from the financial aspect of this, it's great that we're going to have another outlet to find good news that we can focus on and kind of tune out some of the other stuff that is just rampant in the news. Right. So good for you, John Krasinski. And thank you for bringing us some good news in this time when we really need some. Right, Cole? It is. It is. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We are here each and every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific to give you the very best in entertainment. And you can also Google our podcast, Google Screen Cleaning Podcast. You can go and download hundreds of other episodes that we've produced previously. And uh, we are here, and we will continue to be here as long as we need to in quarantine. But we can't wait to get back into the studio To give you the very best in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. We'll see you next week.